Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Once again, pinch yourself, we have one of our village elders joining us, Brother Mark Nepo. Um, You know, sometimes when I have these dialogues, I, I almost can't believe that I get to call some of these people friends. I mean, we've now had him on at least five or six times. And every time I, I feel lighter, brighter, expanded, more open. Um, and but I also feel like I've I've got to know a friend better. And and I can't think of any uh, a, a higher compliment or uh, or or a way to establish more holy ground than than just to say that with our dialogue. So with that being said. My dearest friend, Mark Nepo, is joining us again. He's got a new book in the world. We're going to get to that. But Mark, welcome back. Thank you for coming back on again. Oh, thank you for that kind, kind opening. And yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, a, a book that I'm working on in manuscript is about French spirit and friendship. Hmm. I've always wanted to explore that. And, and yeah, I think f- friendship is so, so important. You know, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said that uh, friendship is the masterpiece of nature. Wow. Wow. And and the word friendship, actually the root goes back, I've discovered because I've been working on on this, it means place of high safety. Hmm. Place of high safety. And so, yeah, there's nothing more important than friendship, truly. (laughs) Well... Um, like I said, super grateful, always grateful for your energy in the world, but even more grateful for your generosity with me and our community here, uh, over the years, it, it's been a gift. Oh, thank you. Um, so again, and here you go, you go, yeah, I just got a new book out, but I got another one in queue and probably, got another <laughs> thing. um, I mean, I, uh, you, I, I love that at your season of life, there's no stop. It's it's. There's more to discover. There's more to put out there. Well, always, because you know I've discovered uh, through the years. I I'm blessed to be prolific because one, I I write about what I need to learn and know. Yeah. I don't write about what I know. I explore what I don't know. And because if I only wrote about what I know, I would have written very little. Um, <laughs> and and the other is I've learned to get out of the way. You know, that that this is really um, uh, writing is really listening and taking notes, hmm. following the 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 string of authenticity, whether it's a joy or a confusion or a fear or a pain or a paradox, whatever it might be. And if I follow that authentically enough, and this is the introspective process, not just the creative process, I just I just happen to write it down Um that leads to an exploration of the unknown. And, and, and one of the things that relates to the new book, um, but is also, I think, very relevant in our, our struggles right now, in our age, is that we, I think we have to reclaim our relationship with the unknown. Hmm. That it has been catastrophized. Um, that, you know, certainly the unknown can bring catastrophe yeah. and difficulty but that's only half of it yeah uh, it brings joy wonder love surprise beauty um i mean after all i can't think of a person 
that I've ever been blessed to love or be loved by that I plan to love. Mm-hmm. Yep. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So certainly that's not to say, oh, everything's wonderful, but we need to right size and reestablish our relationship with the unknown so we keep exploring because and and this is the notion and I'll stop there we can get into it, but but the because all the polarization that's governed by fear in whatever realm it is when fear takes hold um we start all of us we stop relating to the unknown and growing and we start looking for what will confirm what we already know confirmation bias yeah and if we do that's not learning yeah yeah by definition yeah and i and that you get to that in this book and i think we'll get there on on the places in our lives where um if we're only just confirming that which we already agree with align with uh is the jersey that we wear uh, we keep ourselves from expanding. We keep ourselves away from mystery, away from the unknown. You know, the the great teacher, mentor, Father Richard Rohr. One one of like one of my aha ten moments of of spending time with him was one day when he said, "Mystery is not the ability for something to not be known. Mystery, in its own beautiful way, is actually." infinite knowability and and, uh, and and when that came out it was like kaboom whoa i just i left and went into a different universe in that moment and it 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 you know it gave me infinite doors to walk through it was like this beautiful permission slip that hey actually in that on that other side of that door of the unknown is expansion is more is is uh that authentic you that is actually waiting to be discovered. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that it's always, always been true that everyone would be given the opportunity to be dropped in the depth of life. And when we meet that with authenticity and which doesn't always mean, Oh, you know, we're going to strengthen our way through things. But with realness and humility and the truth of our experience, regardless of what that might be, then a conversation opens up between us and life. And and that conversation uh, unfolds as the life of the spirit. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just you giving me that language, I've literally, I just discovered in that moment, Oh my my dark days are when I'm not tuned into that conversation. Uh but my light, bright, beautiful, rested, centered, aligned days are when I go, "Ooh, there's a dialogue going here. I'm I'm there's there's something going on between me and you can name whatever you want to name it. Uh but I'm I'm a part of it." And so I think, yeah, thank you for that. That that's that in itself is a great uh understanding or, or, or beautiful verbiage to just call it the, the dialogue with life itself. Well, I think, I think I'll just add one more note as we're opening here that, that in those understandably difficult days, dark days, confused days, painful, fearful days, 
the same conversation is unfolding if we can help each other stay in it. Right. That it's not, you know, we have a thing in the modern world, well, I'm hurting, and when I get it together, then I can rejoin. We're still in the conversation. The conversation's going. It's always right. Going. And pain and fear and difficulty, they grip us. That's how they say hello. <laughs> and part of our challenge always, myself too, is, well, when you're gripped like that, of course, you know, you feel the pain, you feel the fear. But there is always a place under me when I'm afraid that's not afraid. Hmm. There's always a place under me when I'm in pain that's not in pain. Yep. And when I can see, not skip over it, but inhabit my fear or pain to the bottom thoroughly, then I touch in back into the conversation and there are always lessons there and things that resources that help us. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's so important. I think this is one kind of functional definition of faith is when we're in pain and fear and darkness, not to forget that there's, there's still light. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We, you may not want to have this conversation, but it's the conversation and, and, it's, and, and, and you, you, you might as well, you might as well allow it. You might as well fall into it, surrender to it. Uh, painful. Yes. Uncomfortable. Yes. Um, but necessary for transformation. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, there's an old Roman saying that the fates lead those who are willing, mm. those who are not, they drag. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Willingness, being available, being available to whatever the conversation is. Well, the good news is we're only a couple minutes in, and we're, we're we've dived we've taken the dive into the, <laughs> in, into the deep end. Um, so, the new book, "Surviving Storms: Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity," uh, it, it's uh, of course I, I kind of already know the answer to my question here, uh, given the nature of our world since March of 2020. Um, but wh why this book, and why now for 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 this latest project? What what? Yeah, well, you know, I I was into the book, beginning the book as as the pandemic was starting. And of course, the pandemic gave a deeper context for it. And I was looking I was looking already at some of the lessons that life has taught me over all these years. And then as as the pandemic hit, it started to frame it in this direction of surviving storms. And I think there are two things that really uh, opened me to the teaching of this. And one is the fact that we, we always, part of the journey is always survive. There are always storms. Yeah. If you look at, you know, weather-wise um, in the environment, uh, in the geography of life um, and the geology of life, storms aren't evil. They're part of nature. They're difficult. They can be destructive, yeah. um, but they're not evil. Mm -hmm. They're not looking out to get us personally. 
just just like there's erosion and there's gravity and there's wind currents and i mean life is full of these currents so this is always a current of life how have we met it how do we meet it what are the lessons we can learn and so when i was um <clears throat> and one of the early metaphors in the book is is that of a redwood tree the great big redwoods out in california and the north and the upper West Coast and Washington and or even Oregon, I think there are some. But, you know, they're so enormous yeah. that even with climate change, uh, a redwood could be damaged, but I doubt it could be uprooted because its trunk is wide and its roots are strong. And in fact, its roots are connected to other redwood tree roots. And this is the metaphor for a spiritual path and journey, whatever that might be, formal or informal, whether like me, you're a student of all paths or you're, you, you are in one faith particularly, that we need a personal spiritual practice so that we can strengthen our roots and widen our trunks to survive the storms of our day. And, you know, I, and so it led me to look for the lessons in storms. And, and one important, you know, moment from the pandemic that I opened the book with is, you know, and I think a lot of people that I've talked to, for some reason, the this worldwide pandemic triggered people to memories of their own individual difficult journeys. And it brought me back to my cancer journey and my, th you know, I'm now 71, which when I met someone my age and I was younger, I thought they were ancient. Doesn't seem so old <laughs> right now. Um, and, uh, but, you know, in my 30s, I, when I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma, and when I first got diagnosed, I went to a doctor, of course, and I went into that office and I was told I probably have cancer. And of course, my whole life was upended and I wanted to say, Are you sure you got the right folder? Isn't it? Are you sure this is me? And um, but leaving the office that day, the door I had come through to keep that appointment was gone. Right. There was no way to life before that appointment. And I was triggered and catalyzed to realize, I think this is what the pandemic has done to humanity. There, the old world is gone. Only we can lament it, we can be angry about it, we can grieve it, we can deny it. But the only way forward is to love each other into the new world. Yeah, yeah. well said. One of the uh, just most helpful, I mean, I think one of the sentences that, that, helped me with the metaphor of storm um, was you, you wrote in the entry somewhere of the book, an introduction of the book, the storm is not as important as what opens up in us. Yes. I, and, and that is an invitation. That is a mantra that is whatever comes at us in life, be it socially, socially, relationally, uh, emotionally, like the storms are, they, they, they come in all forms. Um, what a beautiful sacred pause to, to say, what is trying to open up here? What, what is trying to, uh, what, what is trying to come forth? And I, I, and I think that we need language when life gets difficult to ground us in the reality that all things are working together for good, that there actually is something beautiful ushering in our lives, that life is happening for us. Because in the storm, it's very easy to say life is happening to me, 
right? Yeah. But 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 that sacred pause there and just that reality of anchoring into the storm is not as important as what opens up in us. Yeah, so let's dive into that a little bit and, and because it's so important so that, you know, I believe, let's back up one one little step in that I've come to believe that life has been made just difficult enough that we need each other <laughs> to ensure the journey of love. And and so part of that is that the human journey, the journey of being a spirit in a body in time on earth is we are not and we're not entitled to pain-free living, to fear-free living, to everything going smoothly all the time. That's just not the nature of life. And so we do ourselves a disservice in the modern world when we think we are entitled to, this shouldn't be happening to me. I should have, I, everything should be perfect and wonderful. So life is, has its difficulties. We need each other to, to get through it. And this is part of the human journey that shapes us. And so when that, and so whatever happens to us, <clears throat> There is, on the one side, the growing, evolving journey of learning from loss and difficulty and falling down and getting up and things, dreams breaking and reforming. And there's no escaping. You can't skip over that process. And the, it, there is always something being opened in us by our experience if we can learn from it. And, and one of the guys used in the beginning there, this great uh, haiku from there was a, there in the, set, uh, the 1600s, there was a samurai who got tired of swinging his sword, retired, put his sword down and went to apprentice to become a poet. He apprenticed with the master poet Basho in Japan. Now, I would have loved to interview that guy. <laughs> like, what happened, right? Yeah. Make such a turn in life. And his name was Masahide. And after studying with Basho, his own famous haiku, uh, which I use there, goes like this. My barn having burned to the ground, I can now see the moon more completely. My barn having burned to the ground, I can now see the moon more completely. And in those three lines, I feel like that points to what we're talking of this paradox. There's no bypass. We can't rationalize or reframe. The burning down of the barn is a loss. Uh, loss it, of structure, loss of security. And if you built the barn, it's yeah. devastating. You, and did you lose someone in the fire? I mean, all of that. Yeah is real loss and it's not to be skipped over. Yeah. It has its own learning journey. And now that the barn is out of the way, there is a vastness that's seeable that wasn't seeable before. Yeah. Yeah. And how do we stay open to both journeys of learning? How do we stay open to the difficult journey of moving through loss, pain, breakage, difficulty, and not get so caught up in being a victim or this is unfair or this shouldn't have happened to me or that we lose sight that now that the barn is down, there's a depth and vastness to life that was not accessible before. 
however it came to us. It could also come from great love and great wonder and beauty, but it, all, it often comes through difficult things as well. And that is an important part of the journey, which gets back to that relationship to ever knowing, That's right. ever growing, ever learning. You know, I remember, I just want quick that, I mean, in this context, I never thought about it, but when I was a kid, you know, I was in grade school, I remember being out at recess and, you know, fell, skinned my knee really bad or whatever and started to cry and everything. But all of a sudden, I realized even as a seven or eight year old, I'd never been that close to the earth. Hmm. Like I actually stopped crying and hugged the earth and felt the earth under me for the first time in my life. Wow. There's another example of like, I didn't understand it at the time, but some, but but this sense that, oh, I tripped, I fell, I skinned my knee, terrible. Can somebody help me? What is this I'm laying? Oh, <laughs> wow. And to suddenly not take for granted that there was a, a literally a ground bigger than I could comprehend holding all of us up. Because I fell, I felt that for the very first time. You move into a place uh, where you start talking about the, the grief that happens when we lose our maps and, mm. and, and, a, and a new map is brought before us. And if I think about my kind of order-disorder journey, uh, reorder journey from, from 10 years ago, uh, I didn't realize how significant that first two years of kind of walking through the door, as you say, you know, you leave that, you leave that appointment, not the same. Um, it is a disorienting thing oh. to have the burn, to have the barn burned down, have the house burned down, have, have, have Absolutely. this, this, this map that you were, that either you were given or you created either way, it's still a map. Um, but now having walked through the door once, there's an excitement about new maps. There, there's, there's, there's a ooh. I, I didn't, I didn't know that topography. I didn't know that journey. I didn't know that trail was there, and I think that's a beautiful invitation, maybe for our listeners to hear that in in using the metaphor of the maps that we all have in life, um, that there is a grief of leaving those, of those disappearing, of those failing us, of those not doing what we thought they were going to do. But one of the gifts of being human is is the never-ending pattern of new maps. And I yeah, think so, you get at that. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. So in, in, on, in several levels. So, so <clears throat> I first bring it up in terms of just very difficult, you know, one of the things every human being goes through is grief. And when we lose, especially if we lose someone in our life, a person that's, I mean, we'll talk in a minute about if we lose dreams or identities, but when we lose a person, they're irreplaceable. It's devastating. And, you know, this is the only way you cannot feel grief is if you don't love. And what's the point then? <laughs> so as soon as you love, you are open to loss. And it's part of the human journey. And paradoxically, when we experience loss, um, 
you know, we've, we've made through intimacy and love, we've made a map of how to care, how to be here. You know, the purpose of maps is to find our way and to leave uh, traces of, for others to find their way and how to refine your own way if you should get lost. So, but once some, when, when someone dies, it's like the landscape around you is blown up. It's like a bomb blew up the landscape. And so the very geography is different. So the maps, as dear as they are, they're, they're no longer relevant. You, you're in a strange way. The, one of the, the, the uh, things about grief is you're challenged. You have to make a new map. Because there's a, there's a new ground, there's a new ground, and so in a strange way, just when you're feeling like you can't go out in the world because you're hurting, you're being forced to go out to make a new map. Hmm. And this also applies, you know. And so now when we talk about when you know our identities or our dreams, that's a little different in the fact that these things are developmental. So when we dream, it's wonderful to have a dream, a goal, to work towards something. But they're often, I have found in my life, that they are, um, they're kindling mm. for the fire of aliveness to come alive. And often we're taught, well, if I have a dream, I'll work, and all of a sudden it's sacred and it's fixed and I work toward it. And if I don't make it, I'm a failure. When actually, I think the dreams are often used up in the fire <laughs> to bring us alive. And so, and so in that case, you know, it's like if you have a potted plant that you take care of, well, the reward eventually is that it grows and you got to repot it. That's right. Otherwise, its roots will get bound and it'll die. So our identities and dreams, it's just like another metaphor is that of a butterfly. When it emerges from its cocoon, it doesn't mean the cocoon was false. It means it served its purpose. Yes. So the purpose of dreams and identities, if we're lucky to grow, blessed to grow, is that we will have to thank them, shed them, and discover new pots, new identities, new dreams, because the, the, the goal isn't to achieve the dream. The goal is to come as alive as possible through living the dream. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I, I feel like my last five to ten interviews here, somehow, some way, we've, we've come to the, the point of talking about expectations with our life ah. and how... Um, how much frustration, suffering, aggravation is connected to those expectations uh, that, that we lay over our lives. And when I think about your language of mapping, to fully become human it, it is, is, to, is to become a skilled artist at, at the art of creating new maps. Like that is a, uh, that is a very... Uh, uh, um, uh, conscious, uh, uh, aware, awakened human soul 
that in real time can go, oh gosh, you know what? I had an expectation over that. That did not happen. But now how can I reemerge? What's the new map? How's mystery well, inviting me into something new? So I would, I would offer that in this regard, our soul's awakening is our career. And where that happens is our occupation, which can change. <laughs> I need that again. Give me that one again. Our soul's awakening is our career. And where that takes place or happens is our occupation, which can change along the way. So I'll give you, you know, an example of what we're talking about in my own life as a writer. You know, I can honestly say that not one of the books I've written is the book I started. Mm-hmm. Precisely because of what we're talking about. And so one of the things that, you know, in the beginning, as I was learning, I had that frustration of like, well, gee, I aimed over here and it went over here. (laughs) Did I fail? Why couldn't I make it go over here? Well, because the journey of creating is not about control. It's about participation. So when I am in relationship with the unknown, and now, and so the joy of writing and, and being a better expl- inner explorer, which is another definition of writing, is that um, I have insights or even a vision or an outline or an idea, but I know now that's in no way where it's going. It's where I'm beginning. Yep. And that will open up what it's really about. And this is one of the hardest things to teach young artists, uh, including me when I was young, because when you finally have a vision and then you try to, to, to aim for it and you miss, you think, Oh my God, I finally have a vision. I'm, I'm not, I can't even approach it, but it's more what I've experienced over time is it's more the sense, okay, all of your outlines and ideas, it's as if the unknown, the mystery is saying, okay, now that I see you're serious, I'll show you what this is really about. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. And so that willingness to create new maps when it comes alive is how we truly grow. Mm-hmm. You, you, you said something a minute ago that resonated with me. It, it, it's when we are in relationship with the unknown, we, we participate. We, we become active, maybe even say grateful participants. Yes. Um, versus uh, when we're not in relationship with the unknown and the only thing we have is the known, we want to control it. We want to we make it fit our preference. We want it to be exactly how we think it needs to be. But what you're inviting us into is get in relationship with the unknown, become the grateful participant. And from there, your soul becomes your career. Your role is this thing over here. That's well, so, so there are, <clears throat> there have traditionally been two ways of understanding artists in all forms, whether they're dancers, writers, musicians, sculptors, And uh, let's raise them because they speak to also how we go through life, uh, where the the art 
the piece of art where shaping is our life. And so one is this sense on the one hand that, you know, we bend, manipulate and shape material and we create art out of nothing. And that's the sense, the story or the sense that we imbue ourselves as little gods. I can create this. That I, I don't, <clears throat> I don't, uh, I started out, I was taught that and through my cancer journey and everything else, um, I've come to it the whole other way of being, which is no, I am participating in a relationship with the unknown and the essential currents of life, which through my engagement and my bringing all my gifts and humanity bring uh, certain living aspects of that unknown into view. And that becomes the living art. Mm. So I'm not controlling, manipulating, creating something out of nothing. I'm cooperating with life to make something eternally meaningful, visible. You become a co-creator. Yeah. So that, that's not just about art. That's how we live our lives. You know, John Ruskin, who was a a watercolorist and and, uh, essayist in the 1700s in England, he said, the reward for a person's toil is not what they get for it, but what they become by it. Mm. And the reward for a person's toil or work is not what they get for it, not what you achieve, who you become, but what you become by investing yourself that completely. So, so by what we give ourselves to, whether it's a, a poem or a dance or an interview or a garden or a relationship, okay, we are the art, the living piece of art. Our life is the art that is shaped by giving ourselves completely to that work. So you, you could be a car mechanic. It doesn't matter. A florist. You'll be a stamp collector. But you, each of us is shaped by how much we show up. Yeah. You know, we're talking about storms here being, being the, the thing that blows open the door for us sometimes, right? Like sometimes the ego has to get dislodged a bit. Um, not on its own accord, right? That's just another thing for the ego to do is, right, well, maybe I need a storm in my life. That, that's, <laughs> that's not going to do it. That's camouflaged ego. Um, but with expansion, there was a part in the book that I just loved where you talked about, are, are we just confirming what we know or are we growing what we know? And those are two different worlds. And I think that's a good thread right here off of that artist conversation that you and I yeah. are, are having is, is, um, honor what, you know, have respect for it, have reverence for it, but keep the lid open a little bit. Uh, give, well, give so it this, some room. This, yeah. There's a couple of things here that really have been great teachers for me. So one is the, you know, uh, two, of the, two of the kind of spiritual element, you know, we talk about air, fire, earth, and water as physical elements 
in the world. <clears throat> well, spir- two spiritual elements are presence and meaning. Hmm. And these are not abstract. These are very real things that we rely on. Presence is the way we each directly live life and know that we're alive is by being present. Nothing between me and life. And, and one of the rewards for presence is remembering and feeling how rare it is to be here at all. For all the things we can copy and play back and rerun and no, this, this moment is unrepeatable. So, okay. But if I'm, if I'm only have my own experience, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Because that, if I rely only on my, because paradoxically life is so much more than, I can't tune into life unless I'm present. Right. But it's so much more than just my experience. There's your experience and everyone else's experience and the experience of nature and the things around us. So meaning is the way that I can experience your presence. Mm. If I'm present, then I can also be open to more than just my experience. I can feel, not just think, your presence and your experience. And so... So being present, having both presence and meaning are so important. So this gets back to now confirming, you know, when we're afraid, we look to confirm, like we've been saying, only what we know. If the world, you know, there was a, there's a uh, developmental psychologist at Harvard, Robert Keegan, and um he defines centrism, like egocentrism, ethnocentrism, anything where you are self-centered, you know, as mistaking what is familiar as true. Wow. That's profound. That's profound. Mistaking what, so if you, so if I'm governed by fear, and again, when we talk about this, we all have moments of doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is no they. Mm-hmm. We, That's right. we are they. We are they. <laughs> and you know, for the moment we're awake and tomorrow we could be asleep. And uh, so, but when any of us are overcome by fear and we let that start to shape our behavior, then we start to look for what's familiar. Mm-hmm. Then we start to look, oh, okay, this seems safe. I know this. I'm not going to go off my block because that feels dangerous. I'm going to just stay on my block, yeah. whether the block is an identity or a religion or a political view or an idea or a way of approaching life. And so now we look for, we mistake what is familiar as true by definition, anything different is false. And now we're in trouble. Labeling, categorizing, judging. Now look at the, polariz- the polarization that we're experiencing today, which has, exper- has showed its face in other times in history, every generation, but we're experiencing it today. No, you know, I, this is not familiar to me. I, I don't, you know, I'm... I'm uh, heterosexual i'm uh you know so i don't understand same-sex marriage or i don't you know whatever you want it to be i 
you know, believe in a certain face of God, so I can't understand. So anything that's different than that is false. Because that, so, so much of it comes back to, you know, finding safe, whether we find safety in what's familiar or whether we find safety, as we said, friendship is a place of high safety. Right. So I know I'm actually more safe when you and I are authentically together. Do mm. we find safety in kinship as opposed to isolation? And when we do that, then, oh, thank God you're not me. Teach me what you know. <laughs> Let me feel your presence. Let's mix. Let's add our presences. Let's make meaning out of what we both experience. Oh, yeah, it can be. Um, so so one tradition that I love is um, the Native American elder councils which still meet today for hundreds of years, they meet in circle, not just for equity because there's no head to a circle, but so that everyone has a direct view of the center. Wow. Love that. I love that because the assumption, the implication, the assumption is no, no, forget being familiar is true. Mm -hmm. We need everybody's view to understand what's in the middle. The unity in the diversity. Yes. Yes. So, right. So if I'm on this circle and I see have a particular view of God, I don't say all the rest of the people on the circle are false. I say, oh, well, what do you see from your side of the circle? And you and you. And so we gather meaning. Mm -hmm. We don't choose it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Meaning then in that it becomes mosaic. It it, yeah. it, it, it it becomes uh, multiple shapes and colors. And then maybe we all let the great light shine through and we may find something interesting. Yeah. 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 So where does this lead to the true self? Because you and I, uh, I did a true self series a few years ago, and it was you and Parker J. Palmer and some amazing folks. Um, and if there's one topic that I just never exhausts me, it's, it's the endless nature and discovery of the true self. Um, and you, but you, you do get into that a little bit in the book. And so I wanted to just kind of open that up a bit about the, the awareness of the true self, the, the storms, um, excavating our essence, you know, and that emerging help me hold my hand there. Yeah. So I think, you know, to relate the storms to this. So I think the true self are those moments where there's very little or nothing between what's inside and what's outside. And that we have the, uh, we give each other the strength to receive and accept that and, and honestly, and let it be our teacher. And so, you know, I, both inwardly and outwardly, storms and just the forces of life. You know, I said earlier that I think that life's been just made difficult enough that we need each other. Well, it seems like from my own suffering, I've seen that suffering is for humans what erosion is for nature. Hmm. Nobody likes it. We don't sign up for it. 
no, thank you. I, I don't want, I want as little suffering as possible. And I still do, but I accept that at this point in my life, that the forces of life wear away everything that is false and breakable until all that's left is what's true and unbreakable. And so we struggle with that and hold each other up to that because that's can be a wonderful process or a difficult process. And so the, the true authentic self, and so storms come along and, you know, take the barn to the ground. Storms come along and uh, open us up you know, where we refuse to open. And then it's our job to say, huh, do I want to stay open? Do I need to have something, do I need to have a door there rather than a wall? Do I need a window? Um, Those are questions of becoming a student of the heart, as you call it. Yeah, yeah. How do we, you know, there's a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing in, um, there was a retreat center that I used to go to that it's now been sold, but for many, many years, Pine Manor retreat center, and they build made of cob buildings, cob houses, which are from England and Scotland and Wales. And they are made out of mud and straw. And, uh, Gail Warner, the founder and wonderful teacher in her own right, who, uh, of that retreat center I was visiting and she showed me a new building and we were inside and there was a patch where you could see the straw in the wall. And I said, Oh, this one isn't finished yet. Oh, she said, Oh yes, it is. She said, that's a truth window. <laughs> so in the tradition of building cob houses, there is always a part that's left transparent or open so you can see what the walls are made of. Wow. A true so a true, a true self, always, we all have a truth window where I can say, hey, it's fine. See what I'm made of. These form are the form. I, I know my form, but I know the endless depth of my formlessness. Yeah, and here, you know, if we're going to be friends, I'm fine. This, th these are the, the, the difficulties and joys that have made who I am. Take a look. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I kind of wanted to just put a bow on it here because I, I think... Um, I would always say with your writing, your writing invites us into new consciousness. Your writing, your writing invites us to discover our new maps. Your, your writing invites us into the unknown so that we may know something new for ourselves. You write, you know, what you wrote, and I love this sentence, I can find God anywhere if I dare to stop running and be completely where I am. And really, this conversation of surviving storms is a conversation about presence. That, that, and it goes back to that conversation that you and I started with today. That, yeah, there may be days when you can feel the sun rays. Everything is right. Everything is aligned. You hear the, the univocity of all things, the one voice coming through the universe. But even in the storm, 
If you can ground yourself, stay present, don't run, you can even find the divine there. And anytime we discover the divine, that is also simultaneously the place where we discover our true selves. And yeah. I think that's the work of this book. It's, it's almost like that's the joke of the book. You know, like, like what's the joke of surviving storms? It's that it's available. It's that it's even available there, the last place you would want to look for it. Well, there's, there's a <clears throat> thank you. And um, I think what it points to is this nature, this paradox of life. So <clears throat> in storms, uh, you know, if a storm's coming, a hurricane, a tornado, well, obviously, if you can get out of its path, its destructive path, you, you don't want to be in that. But if you're caught in it, the only safe place is to go to the center of it. And there's a I quote, there's a Jap, anonymous Japanese verse in the 14th century that says, every storm has a hole in the middle through which a gull can fly in silence. Mm -hmm. And so the hard thing is it's natural. Like, I don't want this. Let me out of here. But if you're already caught in it, the only safe thing is to get to the center of it where it's calm. This is the eye of the hurricane. This is literally the eye of the storm from which we, you know, emotional storms, personal storms, relational storms. It's from the eye, the calm in the eye that we can see what created this storm, what's going on here. And that's how we start to in, endure it. But I, I do think that, you know, one of the, the incredible challenges all the time is that, um, and I, and I think we're, the modern world kind of, it's a, it's a problem today that's exacerbated by social media and the isolation of the pandemic and is that there's nowhere to go. <laughs> right. There, yeah. there, there is no there. There's only here. So, you know, I, one of my, uh, and, and, and almost dying taught me that, that, um, you know, before my cancer journey, oh, like I was in my 30s, you know, I wanted to go everywhere. I felt I needed to go everywhere. I wanted to see the whole world, of course, you know. But it was not being able to move and being forced to be where I am in pain, where I could experience grace anyway, mm -hmm. that taught me God is everywhere. And so I might like to go somewhere, but I don't need to go anywhere because the journey of life is not going from here to there. It's going from in to out. That's right. Yeah. It's going from in to out. So, you know, when I travel and I'm back to traveling, thankfully, you know, I literally go ever, anywhere in the world. And when I get there, my job often is to affirm that there's nowhere to go. <laughs> I came and, here, I came from there to here to tell you that there's actually nowhere to go but here. And it's a privilege to do it. And of yeah. course, we on the surface travel distances to be together. But when we're ever to, whenever we're together authentically like we are, we open the same eternal moment. Yep, yep. The sacred now. Yeah. Whereas where you, as you write in the book, that's the place where we can brew our small cup of peace. <laughs> I love that, 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 that in that, and there's, and there's just enough light for here. 
And there's just enough love for here that we don't have to worry about all the other things that are going on in the midst of this. Well, this, you know, as we as we understand the, the, the massive difficulties in our age, which in every age, it's overwhelming. But as Mother Teresa said, courage is doing small things with love. That's right. And it always comes back to the one detail of, uh, between us yeah. and to put our our care there. You know, in the Japanese uh, tea ceremony, which represents a whole way of life, this is a beautiful thing too. The tea hut, by design, has a low, narrow opening so that you must kneel to get in and you can't carry anything to get in. You have as you to, are. Yeah. And I think that that is the journey of acceptance and of the authentic self is that we, we stop carrying everything that's unnecessary. And to go back to my falling on the ground as a kid, uh, and we touch the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can receive each other. Brother Mark Nepo, as as always, uh, from start to finish, um, I let the the wellspring of wisdom that you are. I don't know where this vault is within you, within your true <laughs> self, but you you uh, you whatever what, whatever the the amount of memory came with the packaging. It is nothing has ever been. I feel like you have this photographic wisdom memory. Um, I'm going to give you the floor as we leave. How could you leave us? Here we are at the end of a year about to enter a new one um, with the good, true, and beautiful community. Anything you'd want to share? Yeah, th thank you. I, my, is to, I want to encourage everyone who's listening to stay in conversation with your heart in the hopes that you can discover your gift and let it be your teacher. Amen and namaste. <laughs> thank, oh, thank you. Thank you, Ashton. Always a joy.